0: The title of this message is called The Spirit of Money Management. The Spirit of Money Management. Now, management is not an exciting term, but you're going to have to manage a lot of things in your life. You're going to have to manage your finances. You're going to have to manage your work schedule. You're going to have to manage your family, your family schedule, your free time. You're going to have to manage your friendships. Management is a big part of life. It's not an exciting word, but it's a big part of our lives. And in this story, in Luke chapter 16, we have a money manager. Now, to understand this parable, which, by the way, I think is the most misunderstood parable in Jesus's teaching. Because you got this guy, he's a manager of somebody else's money, and he's not doing a good job, and then he starts cutting deals and just basically slashing prices to set himself up for uh, warm reception to those he's slashing prices for once he loses his job with his existing employer. And you would expect Jesus to be like, now don't, You would expect Jesus to say, now don't be like that guy. You see this guy, he's dishonest. He's not doing things right. He's not living straight. But Jesus doesn't do that. Actually, he says, I want you to live like this in terms of the kingdom. He's not saying I want you to be dishonest, but here's what he is saying. I want you to live with the next life in mind. Christians, listen. Are we living with heaven in mind? And it has a huge thing to do with money, Money is a big part of our lives, and so often Christians have disconnected money from eternity. Money is an eternal issue because you can take money, and you can give it to organizations and programs that enslave and demoralize people, or you can give it to the kingdom of God, the churches that preach the gospel and present Jesus to the nations because his gospel is the hope of the world, and it can become an eternal investment, because somebody hears the gospel, they are saved, and instead of going to hell for eternity, they are going to heaven. Now, you say, well, money doesn't save. No, money doesn't save, but the preaching of the gospel does, and we need to empower the preaching of the gospel through resourcing it. This is the theme of math, of Luke chapter 16. Now, let's get it in context, because Luke chapter 16 is on the heels of Luke chapter 15, And at the end of Luke chapter 15, there's a story. We all love this story, the story of the prodigal son, where the son that was lost comes home, and the father, instead of criticizing the son and and rebuking the son, he welcomes the son home. He clothes the son. He puts a ring on his finger. He kills the fattened calf. And he says, we got to celebrate my son who was dead is alive again. Beautiful story. That story gets you right here in the heart, right? Well, on the heels of that story, you get this story about a dishonest manager. But there's clues in the text in Luke, in Luke 15 and Luke 16 that tie these two stories together. They are tied together. Here's why. Why did Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son? Was it to give lost sinners hope? Yes, but it was more so to rebuke the comfy churchgoers who were unconcerned with lost sons. That's why Jesus told the parable. If you aren't aware of this, it's because you actually haven't read the parable in context. Here's the beginning of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Tax collectors and sinners were prodigal sons. They were listening to Jesus. And it says, The Pharisees, these are the older sons, they and the scribes grumbled. Look at the word grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, look at the word so, okay? So he told them this parable, and he tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. Each with increasing intensity and emotional appeal to say, you got to have a concern for God's lost children. If you're going to be part of the movement of Jesus, you have got to have a concern for people who don't know him. In fact, there's no other way to be part of the movement of Jesus. Really, there really is no other way. If you're going to be part of this movement, you have got to have a heart for people who need to hear the message of Jesus because that's how they come into faith. Okay, now... Luke chapter 15 opens that way, then he tells those parables, and then he tells this next parable. And again, sometimes those chapter divisions in the Bible are really bad for us. So we have this chapter division, Luke 16, but I wish we could just take that out because this parable in Luke 16 is tied to 15, the prodigal son story. And at the end of that story, when Jesus is done teaching them about how to use money for the kingdom to reach lost people, look what happens in Luke chapter 16, verse 14. It ends with the Pharisees again. So it began with the Pharisees in Luke 15, 1, and it ends with the Pharisees in 16, 4, verse 14. And it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. The Pharisees who were what? Lovers of money. Now, if there is one thing that Christians do not want to be equated to, it is Pharisees. Right? This is this is these, these are the black sheep of the stories of the gospel. The Pharisees were the bad people. And usually we think, well, the Pharisees were the religious people, the people that, you know, the Bible-toting, Bible-thumping people at the synagogues who, you know, had traditions over God's word and all that kind of stuff. And we, we really vilify the Pharisees. But, but did you ever consider that this is one of the monikers of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16, verse 14? They were also lovers of money. It is very possible to be a Christian going to church every week and be a lover of money and unwilling to part with your money for the sake of the gospel. Did you know that? It is very possible for you to go to church, lift your hands in worship, listen to the word, and never be moved to give your money to help preach the gospel. And that is the point of Luke 15 and 16. Here's the theme of the message God wants you and I. To manage money in a way that empowers us to make an eternal difference in people. Manage money in a way that empowers us to make an eternal difference in people. And we're going to talk about money management. Not just giving to the church. No, no, no. This message is more than that. Because if you can't manage your money, you can't be empowered to give to the church. If you don't have any money, you cannot be empowered to give to the church. And there are tools and there there are principles in God's word for managing money that empower you to have it so that you can share it, so that you can invest in what matters to God and also what matters to you. You ever take a flight and you get on the flight and you sit down and then they go through the spiel, the stewardess or the, or, or the steward guy goes through the spiel of what to do in the case of emergency. And they say, if in case of emergency, oxygen masks will fall from above you. And then you're supposed to take the oxygen mask and put it against your face and pull the strap over your head and then tighten the, the straps against your cheeks. And then uh, even if the bag doesn't inflate, oxygen is still flowing, breathe normally. And then they always qualify it with this phrase, please take care of your own oxygen mask before assisting other passengers. And it's one of the only times in life, have you ever thought about this? It's one of the only times in life where you actually are encouraged to put yourself first. <laughs> it's really cool, because I was thinking about it. Not even on your birthday are you encouraged to put yourself first. On your birthday, you know, you cut the cake and you're supposed to give it to everybody else. And I've, I've always been a little bit ticked about that. You know, it's my birthday. Let me get my piece and everybody's come, everybody else can take care of themselves, right? But, 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 but not even on your birthday can you put yourself first, but on, on the plane, when there's an emergency, when lives are at stake, Put yourself first so that you can breathe so that you can help others. Here's what I see in the church. A lot of people can't breathe financially so they can't help others. They don't know how to take care of their own money. Therefore, they don't know how to help other people who need to hear the gospel. I'm asking you to get your financial house in order. God is saying, get your financial house in order so that you can help people. I want you to be empowered. Jesus wants you to be empowered to not be a taker, but be a giver. To be generous, to live like he lived for the sake of others. So, we're gonna talk about the spirit of money management. Four points, and then we're done. First, the first point that I draw from this text the spirit of money management I am the manager, God is the owner, and money is the tool. I am the manager, God is the owner, and money is the tool. So often we get this all conflated. We think God is the tool. And we are the owners. Or God is the manager and we are the owners. And we, 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 you know you treat God like the manager of your money when you make all kinds of mistakes in money and then you say, God, fix it. Like You, you don't have any money. Oh my gosh, I'm in all kinds of debt. God, help me. And God's like, well, wait a second, I gave you a brain. I want you to start thinking differently. I want you to start considering what this is all about. And you've got to get this in your spirit. It is not your money. It is not my money. It's not our church's money. It's God's money. Everything is God's. Psalm 24 says, the whole earth is in the hand of the Lord. The fullness of the world is is his. He's the owner. I am the what? The manager. And money is a tool. Money can build a hospital. It can also build a whorehouse. Money can build something that saves lives or takes lives. Which one, dear Christians, are we giving toward? So here's the thing about money management. When you get a hold of the fact that God is the owner and you aren't, that leads me to number two. Number two is this. The management of God's money is always temporary. I'm temporary and you're temporary. And that's what happens in this text, right? The manager, us, is called to account, verse two, He said, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And one day, one day God is going to say those same words to us. One day, your time is up. And all that you have and all that you have done with what God has given you will be held to account. This is a fact And then he realizes this, and sometimes we just need to come to church to remember that life is temporary because every other venue in the world tells us seize the day, carpe diem, live for the moment, YOLO. It's all about now, and it's really not. And the last vestige, the last place, the last bastion of truth that your life on this earth is temporary and then there's a life to come is the church that tells you, you're gonna die. (laughs) Do we like to hear that? No, but it's true. Your time will come to an end. So, let's think about this. It's 2020, (laughs) we're barely two and a half months into 2020. And so far, Kobe Bryant has died instantly in a helicopter accident, tragic. All the championships, all the notoriety, all the fame, all the fortune, all the potential of what his life was going to be post his playing career. Gone in an instant. And Tom Hanks has coronavirus. <laughs> instant. And you know, we don't wish ill on Tom Hanks or anybody for that matter. We pray for the health of all people. But it happens. There's no guarantee. And then we have this virus, this, this, this crisis where we're shutting the world down, it seems. It's a reminder. No one is immune to the unforeseen circumstances and the unforeseen end of our lives. We have, now here's the thing, <laughs> we all have a spiritual coronavirus. Did you know that? You're, you're already infected. It's called the sin nature. You're going to die. It's just a matter of when. Now, I don't want you to die. Nobody wants you to die. And God doesn't want you to die. He wants you to have life and life to the full. And after this life, He wants you to have life in His presence. But here's the point of the parable get busy doing things with this life that matters in this life that helps people and matters in the next life that helps people. You understand? Don't yolo because that's a lie. You don't only live once. You live twice. You live in this life, and then you either live in heaven or hell in the next life. Period. That's it. Here's what the text is asking us to do. Come to terms with your temporariness before your temporariness comes to terms with you. This is good preaching. I'm telling you. This is You are going to be glad that you turned tuned in, because we're going to get to the nitty-gritty in just a moment. Look at the manager's response to what the Master says to him, the owner says, you can't be manager any longer. And he says, verse three, what shall I, what, do? And then the next verse, verse four, I have decided what to what? (laughs) Do. I've got to do something. And I love the manager's response because he doesn't complain. He doesn't blame. He doesn't whine. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, it's not fair. No, he just gets busy. Now remember, I think it's important to remember in the text, he was only accused of mismanagement. We don't know if it was really true. It probably was, but we don't know. And what I love about him is that he doesn't, he doesn't go you know, find himself a lawyer and, and take this guy to court. No, he doesn't waste time. He gets busy, and that's what I'm telling you to do. And that's what I think Jesus is telling us to do in this text. Get busy with your resources to do things that matter. You know, I read this week in a book, and it's a simple phrase, but it just struck me. The lo- quote, it said this, quote, the longest distance in the world is from zero to one. The longest distance in the world is from zero to one. Zero is no movement, doing nothing, just status quo. One is movement. One is positive momentum. One is forward motion. Listen to me very carefully. Before you know it, you're going to be 20 years older. How do I know? Because people used to say this to me 20 years ago and I didn't believe them. And now I'm 43 and I'm like, where did 20 years go? It, it happens quickly. It happens so quickly. And when I was younger, people would tell me, invest, 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 save, prepare. And I would say, yeah, 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 yeah. And I know some of you 20-year-olds right now, you're going to do yeah, 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 right to me. And I, Please, listen. I, wi- I listened a little bit. I did invest, but I wish I listened a lot more. Get busy now doing things financially that are going to bless your future 20-year-old self. Trust me, you're going to thank yourself. Get busy now. I read this statistic in a financial magazine. If you invest one, every dollar you invest at the age of 30, by the age of 65, becomes $9.60. Every dollar you invest at 30, by the age, in, moderate, in moderate safe investment products, by the age of 65, it will be $9.60. Do something today that matters for tomorrow. Yes, for your good, and so that you can be blessed and benefit others and be a force for good financially beyond yourself. So point number three. Um, It says this, managing God's money is a step-by-step process. How do I know it's a step-by-step process? Because look at verse five. So summoning his master's debtors one by one. Please look at that if you're taking notes in your Bible. I love underlining my Bible, as I can do here on the screen at the Deep End Studio. One by one, he called them in. And I'm sure it was more than, we have the record of two, but I'm sure it was many, many, many more because was, he was a rich man, right? So he calls them in and he just takes it step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. Let me tell you about your money. Your money is a step-by-step process. Your money is a step-by-step venture. If you have a job, you get paid regularly, whether it's by commission or weekly or bi-weekly or bi-monthly or monthly. And every pay period, every pay period is an opportunity to step forward in life or backward. Are you stepping forward in life or backward? And I I know this, I know this. Please hear my heart for you and hear God's heart for you. God wants you to step forward financially. Do you honestly think that your father wants you to struggle financially for the rest of your life, to have your hands out to please help me? Please, do you think that the, the Father in heaven who loves you enough to give his son for you? Do you think that's what he wants? No, he wants you not to live like this, but to live like this here. Let me bless you. Let me be a force for good in your life. Let me share of the goodness that God has poured into me because I have followed his principles with what he owns, and I have managed it well. But it's a step-by-step process, and every time you get paid, Christian, you have a step opportunity. So, I want to give you some principles. This is the nitty gritty, okay? This is the meat of the message on how to manage money. I practice, and our church practices, and you should practice the 10, 10, 80 principle. The 10, 10, 80 principle. What does that mean? Well, we've talked about this. Remember last week when I didn't talk about it? Well, now I am talking about it. Tithing 10%. I give my first to God. Why? Proverbs 9, 3 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, then, after you honor the Lord with your first, the scripture says, so first to the Lord, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God first and the rest is blessed. Second, the second tenth is tithing. I'm sorry, saving, sorry. (laughs) Tithing, then saving. Saving 10% for yourself. And we talked about this um, many times already, but let me just reinforce it with a couple more principles that are more practical. Proverbs 14, 8. The prudent understands where they are going. You need to live like Jesus is coming in 80 years, and you need to walk like he's coming tomorrow. You need to plan like he's going to come in 80 years, but you need to live and, and, and believe like he's coming tomorrow. <clears throat> because he might come tomorrow, right? And, and the thing is, is, saving is a wonderful opportunity to prepare yourself to grow and increase financially in your future. It's called investment. Let me, let me give you a, a beautiful phrase the Lord gave me from this text. Um, "Investment ties me to my future and debt ties me to my past. Investment ties me to my future. When you put money aside, when you put it into an investment product, when you save it, when you put it into a CD or stocks or mutual funds, you are saying, I am going to commit to my future. But when you impulsively spend and buy things that you can't afford at the time that you purchase them, don't you understand what you're doing? You're tying yourself to a payment process that ties you to that moment in the past. And here's the thing, you buy it and you swipe, swipe the credit card and it's not, I mean, at that moment it's enjoyable and you're really thrilled that you have the product, but guess what? Now you are tied to that product financially for years, months, years, maybe decades to come. Be careful of this. Debt is about your past. Investment is about your future. Here's the number one reason why Christians want to run from debt. And I'm talking about all debt except the debt of your first mortgage, you know, your home, because those products tend to increase in value and the debt is justified by the increase in value, at least right now. We'll see in the for, in the foreseeable future. But here's the thing. Um, when Jesus talks about uh, praying in Matthew chapter 6, remember the word that he gave us to talk about sin? Remember it? He says, forgive us, in verse 12 of Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our Debtors. The word Jesus uses to refer to sin is debt. This is, in my opinion, this is the number one reason why Christians should run from debt. Because out of all the terms that Jesus could have used to refer to our sin, our past, he uses the term debt. In other words, debt is sin. Debt is as bad as sin. It holds you back. It it tethers you to a moment in your past instead of the potential of your future. Aren't you glad you tuned in today? Because it's not just about giving to the church. It's actually about helping you. So invest. 10, 10, 80. So here's the 80, okay? Now, we've talked about the 10, the first 10 to God, because he is God. I honor him. And then the second 10 to my future self. But then let's talk about that 80, because a lot of people think, okay, well, the 80, now I just get to, woohoo spend away. No, (laughs) steward it. Steward that 80%. Here's a couple of terms that you want to revolve that you want to get into your spirit and your head about stewarding. Um, Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything. Do you know what that means? Pay your bills first. Pay your bills first. I know some of you get those bills. You're like, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to open it. Open it. Pay it. If you got the money, pay it. Don't wait. Don't let, don't let um, fees accrue. Late charges. Man, that's how they get you. That's how they kill you. Don't owe them anything. And then here's the second principle about that 80. Real simple. Track your spending. Track your spending. This is Proverbs 27, verse 3. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention. Track your herds. Now, flocks and herds, you don't have in the modern world today. You have, you have cash. You have debit cards. You have accounts. Do you know well the condition of your accounts. Do you have? I'm going to go old school. I'm going to go old school. Do you have a checking account register? I know this is like, you're going to be, some of you are thinking, oh no, not that. This is so boring, right? Yeah. Let me tell you something a checking account register will empower your financial stewardship. Here's what I do. I don't have my phone on me. I wish I had my phone on me. But anyway. I have an app on my phone, it's a, it's a free app, it's a checking account register that that I record all my purchases and all my payments into that as soon as I do it, and then I go to my online account and I, I, I reconcile, remember this, this is an old phrase, I reconcile my checkbook. Now, it, it's not a checkbook now, it's an app, and it's not um, a paper statement anymore, it's on the computer screen. And I'm all for that, by the way. Less trees, you know, digital uh, uh, statements and everything. But I go on my account and I I press the little R next to the next to the uh, thing on the uh, computer screen, and then I press a little check mark on my phone app, and I just reconcile. I say, okay, that that cleared and that cleared. Because sometimes you pay for something and it doesn't show up on your online statement right away. You, you understand this is how it works, right? Sometimes you mail a check, and it's not going to show up there for maybe up to 10 to 14 days. I used to work for the bank. I know these things. And so you have to track it. You have to know well the condition of your accounts. And you say, oh, this is boring, inspire me, pastor. I'm telling you, you're going to be inspired if you start getting a hold of this stuff. You're going to be inspired by how well you keep track of where your money goes. And even my little app tells me how much money went to bills, how much money went to entertainment, how much money went to my kids, how much money went to my dog, so that I know that I'm not putting the dog before God, right? I'm putting God before the dog, and I can look at all the categories. Where did my money go? Is God number one? Is he first in my life? And where else on the priority scale are all those things? And it's a beautiful thing, and it empowers me to know well the condition of my flocks. You say it's redundant, it's repetitive, it's, 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 it's so, uh, you know, boring. Okay, guess what else is redundant and repetitive? Alrighty, I'm right, gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name a few things that are redundant and repetitive. Brushing your teeth is redundant and repetitive. And let me tell you, we are all happy that you do that. Applying deodorant is uh, (laughs) repetitive and redundant, but we're all very happy that you do that. Uh, Getting up in the morning and taking a shower and looking in the mirror and making sure that you do your hair and you put your, if you're a female, you put your makeup on and you adorn yourself properly. Everyone around you is happy that you do that, and you're happy that you do that. Some of you, you don't want to do this because you don't want to look. You don't want to look at your financial life. You don't want to look at the checking account register because you're depressed. It scares me. I don't want to look. It's bad news. What are you doing? That's like getting up in the morning and not looking in the mirror because you're scared of the work you're going to have to do to fix yourself up. It's so ludicrous to me. You would never do that with your outer appearance. Why wouldn't you do that with your financial position? It's real practical. This is real simple stuff, but it's really important stuff. Here's another stewarding principle for all the married couples out there. Listen up very clearly because I know you fight about money. You better have a budget. You better have a budget that has the final say over what gets spent. And you better talk to each other about it. And you've got to agree about it. And then I would have, if I was was you, I would have a a dollar amount figure that you both agree upon that neither of you will spend above that figure without approval from one another. I think that honors one another. I think that supports each other. I think that's empowering. It is not limiting. And then scripturally, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, I know, because... (laughs) So many Christians want to play nice with the world and they don't want to listen to God, but this is the truth. The husband is the head of the home. The husband is the head of the home. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is New Testament. We're not talking Old Testament. We're talking New Testament. I know, I know, ladies. I know, young ladies especially. You think, no, feminism and and female empowerment, those are worldly messages, guys. We are not of the world. We are of this book. And this book has order in the house of God. It has order in the home. Do not interpret this book, especially the New Testament, according to the stipulations and the trends of your culture. Wrong. We interpret culture as Christians. We interpret culture according to stipulations of this book. Now, some of you ladies, you have non-believing husbands. And you say, he doesn't let me tithe. And he doesn't, well, you know what? Appeal to him. Ask him. Tell him. I'm sure if you do it in the right way, it will open doors. Scripture says even if your husband doesn't believe you should submit in 1st Peter chapter 3. We are we are so far away from doing this God's way in our world. It's, it's it sickens me because we listen endlessly to all these celebrities and all of these talking heads on television telling us how how to be as a home and then we wonder why our home is a mess because we have run from the healer and into the hands of the enemy's voice. And we need to listen not to the enemy but to the Lord who loves us. And I know it's hard. And it's not giving your husband permission to be a dictator. No, no. Husbands, your responsibility is to handle, is to deal lovingly and understandingly with your wife and to lay down your life and sacrifice yourself for her. And I think if that happens, your wife is going to respond far better to you. And wives, if you submit and you let him be the head of the home, he is going to treat you much better It's not popular. It's not culturally acceptable. Guess what it is? It's godly. So have that amount. Have that number. I would agree upon that. And and I think that there has to be some mutual agreement there. Absolutely. Okay? So that's the stewarding principle. That's where we've got to go if we're going to do things God's way. Let's continue with the parable because I'm not done. (laughs) One more point, then we're done. How much? Verse 5. How much do you owe my master? He starts cutting these deals. He says, cut this one in half. Cut this one by 20%. On and on it goes. And you would think Jesus would say, now this guy's really bad. Don't be like him. But he doesn't. Actually, he says that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, shrewdness is just another word for wise. Actually, it's translated wise all over the rest of the New Testament except here. Shrewdness means you're wise. You know what's coming. Wise people know what's coming up. Fools live in the past. Wise people invest. Fools go into debt. Okay? And then he says this phrase, which is very strong. The sons of this world, non-Christians basically, are more wise in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. In other words, non-Christians invest in this life and they do it so well. He's, and Jesus is like, I want my children to invest in the life to come and I want them to do it as well as, as the non-Christians do investing in this life. So, The last point. And then under this point, I have three more points. (laughs) That's how I sneak a few more points into the message. The last point is this. Number four, managing God's money is an eternal issue. It absolutely is. You, You are eternally responsible and accountable to God for how you handle his money. So a couple more principles. Verse nine, Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. What is he saying? Is he saying buy friends? No, he's saying, listen, invest in things that empower the gospel to go forward to lead people to Christ and to make disciples and disciples and the people who are believers in Christ along with you are your friends. Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends because we both know the Master's business. You both you know my business. When you become a Christian, you become a friend of other Christians, Right? And Jesus says, invest in that, invest in that, because then what happens? When it fails, it says here in verse nine, when it fails, and it always fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. I wonder how many Christians are waiting for you when you get to heaven, because you had a hand in helping them get there. They are absolutely going to thank you and welcome you and say, because you gave, because you supported gospel preaching, life-giving churches, because you laid down your life, because you didn't YOLO, (laughs) <laughs> I'm here today. I, I, I want that for you. God wants that for you. And it's very clear Jesus teaches us here that that's what he wants for you. So, a couple of points. Eternity starts now. Jesus says, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're dishonest in little, you'll be dishonest in Your Every pay period is a test of what's important in your heart. Eternity starts now. A lot of Christians say they want to go to heaven, but they're not sending any investment ahead. It's just foolishness. It's just foolishness. Tell your money where it's going so you're not wondering where it went. That's, that's a great principle, right? Send it ahead. Send it on ahead. Then, letter B, people are God's eternal treasure. This is what Jesus says in verse 11. Then if you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, money, who will entrust you with true riches? People are the true riches. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, that's people, that's God's, I'm sorry, that's God's money, who will give you that which is your own? In other words, God says, the money in your life is a test. Can God trust you with what he owns? Because guess what else he owns? He owns the people of this world, and he will give people, he will pour people into your life the more faithful you are with his finances. I look at the growth of our church, and I say this without apology. I know for a fact it's God's honoring my wife and I. It's God's honoring the leaders of this church who also tithe who also put him first financially, who also invest in the kingdom beyond the tithe. And God has brought thousands of people into our church. We have campuses going up across the world right now. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because God found us faithful. And he wants to find you faithful too. Let her see. God must be my eternal master. Can't be money. It's gotta be God. He's gotta be the, he's gotta be the master. You're either gonna serve God or you're gonna serve money. You can't serve both. And and a servant, listen, a servant is told by his master what to do. So my question to you is, who's telling you what to do? Is money? Is buying? Is purchasing? Is consumerism? Is debt? Or is God? When you wake up in the morning, whose voice do you hear first? When you go to bed at night, whose voice are you hearing at the end? God wants to be the voice. He wants to be the one who speaks to you. You follow him and you are blessed. It's an eternal issue. Now, if we were gathered in our church today, I would be telling you this for the 100th time. I would be telling you, look at the lights above you. Look at the comfortable seat you're sitting in. Look at the sanctuary. Look at the um, amazing technology. Look at uh, the parking lot, and look at the children's program, and look at the facilities that we have in place right now to minister to you as you came in today, and and, and you didn't even pay for it. many of you haven't given anything yet, and, and we're glad to provide it for you so that you can encounter Christ. But here's what I want you to hear, and I've said it a thousand times. I want to say it again. Someone paid for it. Someone said, my money is going into the people's lives who are not yet here. They believed that you were worth it. But let me say it in a different way since I'm in the deep end studio and on Video in your home or on your phone and not with you in person. Someone paid for this. Someone paid for this microphone. Someone paid for these screens. Someone paid for this room. All this stuff is coming to your home. How? Someone paid for it. Someone said, You are important to God. I'm going to take what God has given me, I'm going to invest it in the future of the church. You are that future. Here's what I'm saying to you. Pay it forward. Be part of the chain. Be part of the generational chain that God has been building since Jesus ascended to the Father and pay it on. Pay it forward and invest in someone else. I'm the manager, God's the owner. Management is temporary. Uh, It's a step-by-step process. And money is an eternal issue. Friends, that's the message. God wants to empower you. He wants you to be able to put that oxygen mask on financially so that you can get air and you can help other people. You can do it. God can help you. I'm so glad you were here. Hey, text Waters Church to 41411. You may have tuned in late, so please do it. We want to get all the updates to you about when we're meeting and how we're meeting going forward. And uh, you don't want to miss that. Go straight to your phone by text message and you will appreciate being well-informed. Okay, also this week, I got some special things planned for the Deep End podcast. We might actually have two or three episodes of the Deep End this week because we're all hunkered down in this national quote-unquote blizzard coronavirus catastrophe or crisis. And I want to give you some options. Instead of just binge-watching Netflix, tune into the deep end. How about that? I don't care if you binge watched a little bit here and there, you got nothing else to do, but tune into the deep end. We'll have some time together. We might even do a question and answer session. Check us out Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Hey, uh, I'm so glad that you were here. Um, I'm so glad that we can do this on technology instead of in person, but it's nothing like being in person. So pray for the quick resolve of this crisis. Pray for your heart to be changed towards money and towards God and towards the kingdom. And let's leave a legacy. Let's leave a legacy of gospel preaching, life-giving churches. Let me pray, and then we're done. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that everybody who heard these words, that it'll sink into the soil of their heart. It'll take root, and then it'll grow, and it'll bear fruit. They'll be blessed to be a blessing. They'll be empowered to make an eternal difference with the resources you pour into their lives. I pray, God, that you'll give us the courage to go from zero to one, to take that next step and get busy financially for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.